You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. We are in week two of this series called Basics. It's an acrostic, and this is referring to the basics of discipleship. And each one of those letters stands for a certain practice or a discipline or a thought that we want to convey to the entire church. Uh, Staff and leadership, we've kind of been in this world for a while. And we're like, this fall, you know, when people start coming back, you know, the summer schedule is over and done with, settle into the routine of fall. This would be a good time to kind of unleash this onto the DNA of all of Southwest. So we kicked things off last week with the B of bridging the gap, which is a tie-in with our vision statement here at Southwest, that we are bridging the gap to those without Jesus so that no one has to live without hope. Roger started us off looking at the story in Luke 19 of Jesus bridging the gap to Zacchaeus, who is far from Jesus, who is far from God, and bringing him in. That's very much a part of the DNA here at Southwest. And so I get to talk about abiding in Jesus, but the rest of the series you can see just kind of following around. Next weekend, we're shepherding toward maturity. And then week five or four, we're combining invite the unconnected, chasing the strays, and then we're wrapping things up with support new leaders. But I get the A, abide in Jesus. And just so you know, even though it's the second week, we feel that this is the most important of all the basics. Uh, Roger said as much last week, and normally we would have started out that way, but ab six really doesn't mean anything, so we decided to stick with basics. So today is abide in Jesus. Again, it's all in the it's all coming from a place of a discipleship focus. We are all about becoming better disciples, more closely following Jesus' disciples. It's all about discipleship at Southwest. And a common verse that we look at, because we all want to be on the same page as far as discipleship goes, is we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, which says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And we like carving up that verse uh, just to kind of say, what exactly is a disciple around here? Which disciple, it's a church word, pretty much means student or follower. So how do we become the best followers, the best students of Jesus? We look at follow me, we take those two words, and that is a cognitive head decision. Uh, There's uh, that Christian author, Philip Yancey, decades ago, he said, no one who really meets Jesus ever stays the same. And when we have that encounter, we hear about Jesus and his message, there is a decision to make. Will we follow or will we not follow this cognitive decision. That's the head. Then we take that phrase in the middle, I will make you, Jesus speaking to us, that when we're following Jesus closely, if we're obeying him and loving him and walking closely, then our heart is going to start to change to reflect his character, to reflect his passion and for ministry. So that's the heart side of things. Jesus will make us. It's this transformation going on. And finally, he's going to make us fish for people. That is the mission of Jesus. That is what Jesus is all about, what he's committed to. So we are going out, bridging that gap, inviting the unconnected, again, filling in all these basics of discipleship. So it's a cognitive head decision. We're being transformed with our heart and with our hands, our hands and feet. We're going out and we are committed to the mission of Jesus. So that's what this entire basics is really, really getting at. But like I said, abiding in Jesus is the most important because it informs and affects every single one of the other ones in turn. So uh, when looking at abide in Jesus, we have like this foundational verse that's going to be in John 15. And this is from the New American Standard Version, but I'll read these two verses to you as we get started. 
Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. That's a foundational idea of abiding in Jesus. Now this might fall flat, we'll see. I know some of the 930 knew who this guy was. Anytime I think of the word abide, I think of one person, one movie character. It's this individual, throw up a hand if you know the guy, the know the character, and say, some of you are like, I know this, but I'm not raising my hand for this man in church, so I get it. This is the dude, and I think of the dude, I hear abide, the dude abides, if you know it, you know it. Otherwise, we honestly don't have time to dive into exactly what this guy is all about, but that is my connection point. Jeff Bridges playing the dude in The Big Lebowski, but we can get him off the screen because he, I don't know, he's not a church guy necessarily. But here's what we're going to do. Uh, We're going to be in three major texts. We're going to be in John 15. We're going to look at exactly what abiding means, what is it all about. And then we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 5, looking at a common pitfall or an obstacle most, if not all of us, can fall into when it comes to abiding in Jesus. And then finally, we'll go to Colossians 3 and look at, hey, what are some practical helps that we can get to so we can leave this building feeling more comfortable about abiding in Jesus? So back to chapter uh, 15 in John, abiding in Jesus. I'm using the NLT here. That word abide, we're going to switch it to remain. It's a little more 2018 friendly. But here we go. Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Now, like I said, this word abide, typically it's not used outside of ministries and church walls like this one. So looking at, you know, being the word nerd that myself and Roger often is, looking at the Bible and what it means for today. And then uh, abide pretty much comes down to, it means to remain in, to stay, uh, to continue on, to endure. So abiding in Jesus, we're remaining in Jesus, we're staying in Jesus, we're continuing on in Jesus, firmly fixed in one place, enduring with him. In fact, for our purposes this morning, what I loved is I was reading the message version of this text, and Eugene Peterson, he puts it this way. When he talks about us abiding in Jesus, uh, to abide in Jesus is to, quote, make our home in Jesus. That might be the most, you know, tangible, helpful idea as far as what's it mean to abide. It means that we're making our home in Jesus. You know, you can recall in your own mind just whatever home or place you've been the most comfortable in your entire life. It might be the place you're living now. You might have a space, be it your bedroom, your den, your study, that you're just like, you can kind of do that ah thing. I can just be yourself. You can relax. You are at your most you in this place. Or it might be a vacation place, or you might have like, you know, a dream house in mind. Like if you were there, then all would be right with the world. You would feel that shalom, that peace. Everything is as it should be. That's kind of what abiding is all about. Are you fully at home in Jesus? Do you make your home in him? 
I wanted to point out a few things just in this John 15 text before we go to 2 Kings chapter 5. Uh, But abiding in Jesus, if we make our home in him, if we do this right, I'm looking at verse uh, 8, I think it is, maybe 7. Yeah, verse 8. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. First thing I wanted to point out, if we do this right, we do this well, then we bring the right kind of attention to God. We bring glory to him. You know, there's the right kind of attention, and then there's the wrong kind of attention. Um, Last night, I was here at the building. Even though we don't have Saturday night services anymore, we still have a collection of people who come, and we kind of get a practice, Roger and I kind of get a practice run with a very small group of people. So last night, I was talking about this. You know, growing up when I was a student, uh, there's always that tension. Most of you, if not all of you, can relate. There's that tension of, you know, growing up in school, uh, you want to be thought of in a certain way. Uh, You want to be noticed, but you don't want to stick out. You don't want to be in the spotlight, but you want people to, you know, know who you are and all that. There is always growing up, there is the right kind of attention and the wrong kind of attention. The right being if I could do or say address in a way that people would either admire me or respect me or think I was a cool person, something that wants, uh, you know, the right kind of attention being people are drawn toward you. And we don't have to spend maybe any amount of time. You can probably have, you probably have a horrific memory when you were in junior high or high school, when you brought the wrong kind of attention on yourself, you were thought of as less than or terrible, ostracized, all that. When we do this right, we bring the right kind of attention to God. That is, we glorify him. And also I wanted to point out, this will come at the very last statement of the message, but I wanted us to be on a, right at the front of our minds, also verse eight, that when we produce much fruit, that's when we are being true disciples. It's a a true disciple is one who produces fruit. And then we'll camp here at verse seven for just a little bit. Verse seven reads, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Right here we have kind of a hint at what I believe are the two most foundational uh, entry level ways to abide with Jesus, to make our home in him. And I told my students this for years and years and years, and they always rolled their eyes when I would ask two questions. They might come to me saying, I'm not feeling this. I'm feeling distance from God. What do I do? I would always follow up with two questions that would result in eye rolls. It would always be, one, are you taking in scripture, either listening to it or reading it yourself? Answer was usually no. And two, how's your prayer life going? Usually there wasn't much to report on that end. But Jesus talks about uh, remaining in him and he in us. He he straight up says in verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, we have scripture for this and talk about asking, you may ask for anything. I think that alludes to some prayer. I will always, 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 and scripture backs this up, the two entry-level foundational, most simple ways to abide with Jesus on a regular basis outside of significant life events and certain circumstances is are we taking in scripture one way or another And are we praying? Now, I won't project on you, but I'll speak for my own self. When it comes to abiding in Jesus or getting time with him or wanting to grow spiritually, I look at taking in scripture and prayer. And honestly, again, I'll speak for myself. A lot of time they sound boring or they don't sound all that attractive. Yeah, they're doable, but there's no, there's no flash to that. It doesn't always seem very attractive. And yet right out the gate, Jesus says, start here. Start with scripture intake, start with praying. I think there is a common pitfall or a common trap that we can fall into when it comes to, are we abiding? Are we making our home in Jesus? What gets in the way of that? 
And I think on some level, and you can you know, adapt this, use your own language, use your own vocabulary. For me, if there's something that gets in the way of that is on some level, I think I'm too special. I think I deserve a little more, something more specific or grand or uh, meaningful than just opening up a Bible or getting to my knees in prayer. So I wanted to take us to 2 Kings chapter 5, and there are two guys we're looking at, one in particular. Uh, in your bulletin, I think it says 2 Kings 5, 1 through 14. Uh, I'll just read out loud 9 through 14. But in those first eight verses, here's what's going on. Uh, we have this army general uh, named uh, Naaman, N-A-A-M-A-N. And he is right at the top. He is the supreme commander of the armies of Aram. And he's great at what he does, uh, but what's going on with him is he has leprosy. He has this terrible skin disease. And he hears through a number of back channels, hey, there's this prophet named Elisha uh, over in Israel who if anyone can heal you or deal with this, it would be this guy. So he decides to make the trip with he and his entourage over to Israel to see if the prophet Elisha will address this. Maybe he can walk away healed. So that's where we find ourselves and then in verse nine. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Easy enough. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. And aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. And if you keep on reading, then you'll see just the change of heart and how grateful Naaman was for this. But he didn't start out grateful. Here's what he did. There was a number of things that maybe we can relate to, adapt for 2018, our own inner life. One, he was already caught off guard. He was insulted. You know, he comes all the way to Israel with his entourage, his officers, you know, his wagons and horses and all that. And this prophet doesn't even come out of his own house to talk with him. He sends a messenger, some lowly servant in the eyes of Naaman. He says, oh yeah, just have him go. Just go down to the Jordan River, you know, dip yourself in there seven times and then you'll be good to go. So already he thought... <clears throat> he thought he was good enough that he would have a direct... Uh, communication, a direct experience with this holy man. You know, we can see some of the pride and arrogance in Naaman thinking of what he thinks he deserves when it comes to this heart transformation, mainly this physical transformation. When it comes to an experience with God, we often have Naaman's attitude in one way or another. One, he was upset because he wanted to talk with the prophet directly. Two, he wanted some theatrics. He said, hey, I thought he was going to come out and, you know, wave his hands over the infected area, call on the name of God. I thought I was going to be healed in that way. It wasn't enough that he'd be healed. He wanted it done in a way that was befitting of a man like him. He wanted the theatrics, the drama to go with it. And he also thought he deserved the best experience. Washing the Jordan River? You got to be kidding me. Has anyone seen or been to, you know, seen pictures of the Jordan River? 
you know, it's heavily featured in, you know, all throughout the Bible, but there is nothing special about this river. It is dirty. It runs brown. There's nothing beautiful about it. It's a really big creek. And here he's invoking, you know, the rivers of Damascus that he's familiar with, these beautiful, you know, rivers with, you know, the gentle pools and maybe some rapids, maybe some mountains and cool rocks around. He's better than this river. At least he thinks he is. He thinks he deserved the best experience, not some dirty river like the Jordan. But one of these three reasons or versions of it often get in the way of us abiding in Jesus, of us making our home in him. One, we might think that we deserve special attention. Now, it's probably reasonable to know, yes, we're not going to receive that audible voice from God in our devotional life. But we would like to think that, you know, maybe you've played the game of, you know, God, if you're really here, you know, maybe you're outside on the back porch. God, if you're really here, maybe just like, I don't know, have a bird like tweet these, you know, notes over here. Or maybe have a butterfly fly by just so I know that you're really here. We think we deserve that like little wink from God just to make sure, just to make sure we're not wasting our time. Who says we deserve special attention? Or maybe it's like, you know, we like the idea of having a theatrical or at least a romantic or scenic devotional life. You know, surely you know, either from Instagram or Facebook, you know, if you are, if you don't have your Bible open on a wooden farm table with your black coffee right here and the centerpiece, you know, in the dock and the lake and the mountain range, surely if you don't have that, you do not have the devotional life that you deserve, right? Most of us were stuck with a dirty table in Springboro with crumbs and dried jelly on it. We like the idea of the romantic, the scenic devotional life, much like Naaman thought he deserved the very best. Don't you know who I am? Surely I deserve something better than this. Or maybe we like the idea or we expect to have a new spiritual high every day. You know, if you've been walking with Jesus long enough, you know there are spiritual highs, there are spiritual lows, but mostly uh, that walk with Jesus can be mundane. Not that it's necessarily boring or not beneficial, but, you know, most days they're just normal. You know, nothing tragic, nothing particularly exciting, just the day in, day out walking with Jesus, which in my opinion is just as important and just as integral in that strong relational devotional life as the spiritual highs and the spiritual lows are. We like the idea of like, you know, if we could have like spiritual high after spiritual high, each one even bigger and better and richer than the last one. That's kind of on our spiritual devotional wish list. We can take on those attitudes of Naaman. Like Naaman, sometimes that type of pride gets in the way of us really making our home in Jesus. Before heading to, uh, over to Colossians, um, here's what I wanted to do. I just wanted to share a couple resources uh, that I have found helpful. One, just in the last couple weeks, um, I've downloaded on my phone the prayer app called Echo. Uh, maybe some of you already had this or you've heard of this. Um, it's just very, very simple. You know, it says right there, we exist to help you pray, which we could all probably say like, oh, I would love help, you know, when it comes to my prayer life. And what it is, you know, just put in whatever prayers you might have. You can organize it by day. And if you're like going through your prayers in the morning, you can program it to, you know, hey, you know, a prayer request. Every 30 seconds comes on there. Then it shifts over to the next one. There's a place you can note when a prayer has been answered and it keeps a log of all of your answered prayers. Uh, I'm, it's working well for me. So I wanted to throw that up there as a resource the Echo Prayer app. 
And the other one, if you're a reader, a book person like me, uh, I read this back in January. It's called Liturgy of the Ordinary, uh, subtitled Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. Uh, this was just very helpful in that the author, her name is Tish Harrison Warren. She's a mother, she's a wife, and she's also ministry in Pennsylvania, uh, Pittsburgh, I think, maybe Philadelphia. But she kind of just takes the reader through just a normal a normal day from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed and writes about how does she connect with God, you know, before he, her feet hit the floor, when she's brushing her teeth, when she's making breakfast, when that two o'clock fatigue hits you in the middle of the workday. Um, it was super helpful to, for, for me. So again, if you're a reader, I highly recommend that. Um, but getting out of second Kings five, going back to our home base of John 15, if I had to crunch those, you know, 11 verses down into just a few statements, here's what Jesus is saying to us. He's saying, remain in me, remain in my love. And if you do, then you'll be full of joy. You know, that we can put in our pocket and go home with remain in me, remain in my love. And if you do, then your life's going to be full of joy. And, you know, that word full, you know, there's no special meaning. Nothing's really been lost from 2,000 years ago to now. But I just like to make sure we're all really getting this. You know, as far as our lives being full of joy, you know, it's full, it's filled up, it's filled out, it's complete, it's made perfect. Uh, Maybe some images to go along with that. Um, If you're a fisherman or just can hang on to that kind of imagery, just imagine a net full of fish, you know, with the nets starting to burst. Not one more, not room for one more fish in there. Also the idea of a hole being filled up so it's flush with the ground or just something um, being completed, finishing a task. It can't be done anymore. This overflowing, abundant richness of joy. So the question is, how do we get there? What can we walk away with? How can I feel better about leaving this room, uh, feeling more confident that I can start uh, making my home in Jesus a little bit more, more often, more effectively? So I wanted to go to Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 through 4, and then 12 to 16, but I'll just read for us. This is Paul writing to followers, to students of Jesus. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and with patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Then verse 16 to end it out. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. So there is so much there and we only have time to deal with some of it. So I wanted to pick out phrases from verses 1, verses 15, and verse 16, just to kind of help us think through uh, what's abiding in, making our home in, enduring, staying firmly planted in Jesus looks like for us. Uh, 
So in verse 1, there's the phrase that just says, set your sights on the realities of heaven. You know, God has given us each two eyes. They might work, at, you know, depending on how old we are, if we have any eye problems. We have two eyes, and we get to see with these. And each time we wake up, we get to look at the world through a certain lens. We each have a point of view. You know, we get to decide, and we get to interpret the events and the conversations and the words and the things we see. How are we interpreting these? You know, we can wake up and put on, you know, I can put on my Andrew glasses or I can put on my Jesus glasses. Can I look at the world through the eyes of Jesus? I think of what Paul writes elsewhere in the New Testament. He says that we are citizens of heaven. You know, here he writes, don't think about things of earth. Think about things of heaven. Anything that we find on earth, it is temporary. Might be decades, but at, at the end of the day, it's all temporary. In Philippians, Paul writes to think about things that are true, that are noble, that are good, that are right. He has this laundry list. I think eight things are in there as far as how do we look at the world? How do we, what lenses, what pair of glasses are we putting on in the morning? A good way is following Paul's advice of setting your sights on heavenly things. Set your sights on the things of heaven. Then there's first, verse 15. Verse 15 reads, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Now, we know that word rule, it's a common enough uh, word to find in the Bible, but again, me, the word nerd, I wanted to get this right. Even though it's in English here, the word rule, uh, as far as the understanding or the precise meaning of that usage, it only appears one time in the entire Bible, this particular uh, definition of the word rule. If I were translating it for us today, it would read something like this. It would read something like, let the peace that comes from Christ be the umpire of your hearts. We know in a baseball game that the umpire, any, ref, any umpire out in the field is calling the shots. What they say goes, they are the law. There's no voting, there's no democracy. It is a dictatorship out on the field. Whatever the umpire says goes. So a good way to start, you know, start abiding, kind of taking on the flavor of Jesus in your own inner world is, again, conversations, relationships, whatever you might encounter, especially when it might come to conflict or tension, what would happen if you let peace be the umpire? What if peace, the peace of Jesus, was calling the shots in your life? Let peace be the umpire. And then there's verse 16, the phrase, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That's the new international version. Uh, NLT said, let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. But I like this word, let it dwell among you richly. You know, dwelling, you know, where do we find our home? Where do we find our comfort? Where are we spending our time? Uh, that just paired so well with our, our idea of making our home in Jesus. Where do you find your dwelling? And let that message, the gospel message, Jesus himself dwell in you as we make our home in him so he makes our home in us. Let him walk around the halls, you know, the rooms of your own life. And not only dwell and walk around, but do so abundantly in an overflowing way much like the joy that we get if we remain in him and he in us. Every week we're in the practice of observing communion. So if you're on that team, that can be your cue. Uh, but there are a number of different angles or perspectives or ways we can approach this holy practice. You know, sometimes we just need to go to the throne with something just personal and very specific in our own life. So that might be you. You know, you might have something very pressing, urgent on your heart. You know, go to, go to the throne with that. But also it's a time of certainly reflection and it's a time of gratitude. But if you would like a particular direction, uh, let's look at it this way. You know, it's the night that Jesus is betrayed and he says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. 
So they had wine, we have juice, says, this is symbolic, this is my blood that was shed for you. And have the bread, this is my body that's broken for you. And it's one of, you know, the two very concrete, tangible things we can do in our unity with Jesus. Baptism being the other one. And so uh, for our time, if you don't have anything more pressing or urgent, uh, I'll pray that we think in terms of how are we abiding? How's the home inside of us going, to use the metaphor? And how can we, you know, allow Jesus to take up even more geography, more territory, residence in ourselves? So pray with me. Father, it says that if we remain in you, then you will remain in us. It is a promise straight from your lips and from the words of your Holy Scripture. So for the next several minutes, as we have this private yet uh, community experience of uh, taking communion, uh, I pray that we can center on this word abide, this remaining in you and who's remaining in us. And that if uh, there's someone or something else taking place in our hearts that really belongs to you, how can we definitively deal with that and allow you to dwell in us in an abundant way? It's in Jesus' name we all pray together. Amen.